Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer? Let's do something special. Why don't we get on our knees and let's ask God for a very special blessing today. Father, thank you so much again for today and for the Sabbath. And thank you, Lord, for the fact you call us into holy ground right now. And Lord, we just want to pray that our hearts will be reverent and still before you, Lord, that we may hear your voice. God, we pray and ask that every person here would have an encounter with you today, Lord. Thank you for the promise in John that he who comes to you will in no wise be cast away. Thank you, Lord, you cast out demons, but you don't cast us away. We just pray for the Holy Spirit now. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. The name of the sermon today is called Brain Studies, Brain Studies. And uh, I'll be sharing some things from the Word of God. Also be sharing some things from a book I've been reading recently by Neil Nudley. And I think you'll really appreciate some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. I know that uh, this is something that God desires us to understand like never before. And I really believe that if you're paying attention, if you're watching, if you're still before the Lord, you're going to walk away really, really blessed. Not yet. But um, what we're going to be talking about right now is something very interesting. Now, I want you to imagine right now, I want you to imagine yourself in Africa. Okay? So here we are, we're in Africa, and there is a tour guide with you. And you are in a jeep, and you are going on a safari. Anybody ever been on an African safari before? I just want to say you are very blessed. I cannot wait for the day that I get to go on an African safari. But here you are, okay? You're there in an African safari, on an African safari, and your tour, guard's tour guide is there, and he's wearing these khaki shorts, and he's got this big old mustache, he's got kind of this ranger hat, he's got a shotgun in the back, and uh, he, there you are, you're driving, and it's not one of those vans that are closed completely, this is one of those jeeps, like those military jeeps, it's just got a window in the front. And uh, the reason why is because as you're on this safari, the tour guide wants to show you all sorts of things on the safari. So here you are, you're excited about being in Africa, and you're on this tour, and he's, right before you get in the Jeep, he tells you this. He's like, you're going to be really excited about all the things that you're going to encounter. We're going to see beautiful uh, flowers that you've never seen anywhere else. You're going to see some unusual creatures. You may even see some wonderful lions. Okay? So here you are. You jump into the Jeep and you're thinking to yourself, you know, <laughs> there's no cover over me. But so you said, okay, I trust this guide. It's going to be very interesting. So as you guys are driving together, you're making your way through. And about a few miles into the safari, you lose sight of all the other buildings. And now you're just in or just this complete almost jungle and rural wilderness. And you're there, and as you're just driving with this tour guide, all of a sudden he stops. He stops and he says to you, take a good look at this rare flower. So you look over the Jeep and you see this beautiful purple flower you've never seen before. And you're just amazed. And he's like, that's wonderful. You ever seen those before? No, you say. Never seen that before. So he continues to drive and he stops. And all of a sudden he says... 
look over there, look on yonder. Do you see that watering hole over there? You're like, yes. And you, he says, look a little bit closer. And you look and you see some hippopotamuses playing in that water hole. So you're just like, wow, this is just a, a wonderful thing. You're seeing so many precious things. Don't forget what I just said. You're seeing so many precious things. And here you are, and as you're just enjoying all these things, this tour guide is just stopping, and he's just giving all sorts of information about the land, about the wilderness. And as he's just talking, all of a sudden, you look back and you notice uh, this herd of bull elephants. And they're angry. And these bull elephants are just, they're slowly moving towards you, towards the jeep, and you're trying to get the tour, the tour guide's attention, but he's just like, la, 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 talking away, right? And he's just there, and all of a sudden you're just noticing these bull elephants are starting to move faster. They're starting to move faster. And you can hear the ground rumbling, okay? Now let me ask you a very important question. I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. What is more important at that moment? The precious things around you or the present circumstance? The present circumstance. In other words, there is a difference between precious truth and present truth. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? There's a big difference between precious truth and present truth. Both are necessary. But folks, here's something to understand. You really can't appreciate the precious truth when you're about to be trampled. Could you just show me one more flower? And here, all of a sudden, the bull elephants just crash right into your Jeep, and you're flying like Superman out the Jeep. You're really not thinking about the precious truths. Here's what I'm trying to help you to understand. There are many precious truths in the Scripture, but right now we need to understand present truth. Can you say amen to that? And what is present truth like never before is an understanding of the great controversy and our mind. You hear what I just said? The great controversy and our what? Mind. Everybody take your Bible. We're going to be taking a good look at the life of Solomon. What was that name again? Solomon. So you're going to find the story of Solomon in 1 Kings. The story of Solomon in 1 Kings. And if you have your Bible, please turn there. Now, if you notice somebody around you without a Bible, be a brother and sister and please say, here's a Bible. Okay, so everyone turn around. Just look to the person to the left and the person to the right. And if you see somebody without a Bible, please pick up a Bible and say, here, you're going to need this for the sermon. Okay, we're going to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. A little bit of the context. Solomon, the young king, had just taken the throne. He was about 20-something years old. His father, David, had passed away. Now, you can imagine his father was the most popular king of Israel at that time. There was actually only two kings, so David looked even much better than he did because of Saul's negative behavior. But David was a man who was magnanimous. He did all sorts of great things, and he did much to unite the children of Israel. The Bible says he behaved wisely in the house of the Lord. He behaved wisely with the children of Israel. He was a man who was a people person. He could rally everybody. And so when this king had died, you can imagine how Solomon, the new king, must have been feeling. Imagine to walk in the footsteps of David, the king. 
That was such a, a great thing. And you can just imagine how Solomon is feeling. Probably feeling helpless. Probably feeling like a little boy. Probably feeling insufficient for this task. How in the world is he going to run a kingdom when you have somebody like David who just ran the kingdom prior to him? And you can just imagine what Solomon must have been thinking in the back of his mind knowing that his father, David, had killed another man to have his mother. So Solomon had a lot of things that were stacked up against him. However, Solomon, in his early years, decides to do something. Look what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. Let's go there, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was a great, the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now notice this, the very first thing Solomon does is he gets a bunch of sacrifices and he puts them on the altar and he burns all these sacrifices to God. He wants to make sure he is right with God. He is trying to seek God about something and you'll see what happens as it develops. Look what happens next. Verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon a dream by night and God said, Ask, what shall I what? Give you. Now imagine this. Imagine... Tonight, when you're going to sleep, the God of the universe appears to you and says, Son, daughter, what do you want me to give you? Can you imagine some of the things that might have been going through your mind at that moment? It might be going through your mind and you'll be thinking, Well, I'd really like a million dollars right now. Really would like you to get rid of my neighbor. You know, things like that, right? We'd be thinking of all sorts of things we might possibly ask God. But you see, here's something to understand. The desire... For what he was wanting was very present in Solomon's heart. It actually was the motivation behind him coming to God. So you can imagine when God just, just lays everything on the table and he says, Solomon, what do you want? Watch what happens next. Verse 6, And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my what? Father, because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Verse 7. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to come out or to go out or come in. Solomon acknowledges something that's very important for us to understand. He was acknowledging that he was helpless. Now, this is something to understand. Let's just differentiate between something. Solomon wasn't being doubtful. Amen? Nor was he being prideful. He was simply acknowledging his case, and his case was, Lord, you have put me in this position, but God, I am helpless to do this. I am insufficient for this task. In fact, he says that he is just a little what? Child. Can you imagine this? Here, you're put in charge of all of Israel. Everyone is looking at you. Everyone is watching you and see what you're going to do. Everyone is, even some are probably thinking, I hope he fails. Because you know Solomon had some enemies. And here Solomon is, he is feeling so helpless, and he says, God, you have put me in this place, and I am nothing but a child. And he says, I don't even know how to come in or go out. Like, I don't even know when it's time to go out for recess or come inside the house. He didn't know any of that. He was acknowledging that he was insufficient for this task. Let's keep going. Verse 8. 
And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or to be counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding what? Heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now pay attention to the motivation behind Solomon's request. It is not selfish, selfishly motivated. Solomon specifically is asking for wisdom to help other people. This is behind his request. This is the intention behind his request. He is praying and asking God for wisdom. He knows that he cannot do this task alone. So he is specifically praying for wisdom. And he says, Lord, give me an understanding heart. In fact, the Hebrew translate a listening heart. He wanted to listen to God's voice because he needed to understand or discern between good and evil because he acknowledges who can judge this great people of yours. Solomon was wanting wisdom for what God was calling him to do. And Solomon was doing the right thing. He was coming to God in humility. And that's the first thing we need to understand about wisdom. We need humility. Can you say amen to that? We need humility, not doubt. We need humility. There is a difference, amen? Now watch what happens next. Verse 10, I love what the Bible says right here. This speech, what? Please the Lord. The what? The speech. In fact, I look at the Hebrew of this, and you know what it said? It was not so much describing how much he spoke to God, but rather he was describing, the Hebrew describes the tone of his words towards God. The tone of his words towards God. Let's keep going. The speech pleased the Lord. And what pleases the Lord? Faith. Amen? That Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, and have asked riches for yourself, and have asked for the life of enemies. By the way, if I was somebody who was praying a certain thing, try to guess who I am. Lord, I want you to protect me as I go out on the streets, protect me from bullets, protect me when I'm uh, pulling people over and giving them tickets. Uh, Who do you think is praying this request? What? What type of people pray for protection from bullets? Uh, Obviously, I'm talking about a policeman. Now, here's what I'm trying to get to. What type of people would pray, Lord, give me long life, Lord, give me great riches, Lord, destroy my enemies, Lord, give me a great name? What type of people would normally pay, pray that prayer request? Kings. That's what kings would pray for. They would pray for the life of their enemies, that God would destroy the other armies. Kings would pray that their names would be great in all the world. Kings would pray for great honor. But Solomon, God acknowledges something about Solomon. He says, Solomon, you're not praying like all the other kings. You're praying something else. You're praying for the most important thing right now to understand as this great task has been given to you. Let's keep going. Verse 12. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. Verse 13. And I have given you what you have not asked both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. Verse 14, So if you'll walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your what? 
So let me ask you a question. Did God give Solomon riches? Yes or no? Did God give Solomon honor? Yes or no? Why does he choose to make long life conditional? Because God understands something about riches and honor, that it can corrupt somebody. So he makes long life contingent just in case that God has to put an end to Solomon's life. If Solomon had reached a point, and by the way, did Solomon apostatize for a while? You better believe he did. But even then, God in his mercy still kept Solomon alive. But had Solomon crossed other lines, God would have surely put an end to him. And he said, Solomon, I want you to understand something. I'm going to make long life conditional upon your what? Obedience. Sometimes we think that life, well, you know, we think, well, it was just, God was just taking them away. It was just their time to go. But here's something I want you to understand. Many times God leaves life, the length of life, in your own hands. And it is our obedience to what God has called us to do that actually will keep us extended in life. In fact, do you want to know what Solomon became so wise in? Not philosophical speculation. Solomon actually became wise in practical wisdom. You read the very next uh, paragraph or next few paragraphs and you'll realize that Solomon actually gained practical wisdom. He needed wisdom because Solomon understood something about good and evil that in a sinful world and with a sinful mind, the, the difference between good and evil can be skewed. You hear what I just said? Because many times what we think a person deserves is completely counter to what God is thinking they deserve. Lord, I think you should call down fire and destroy these people like Elijah did. And you know what God says to us? You don't even know what spirit you are. Folks, when it comes to wisdom, we need to pray for wisdom in dealing with people. Amen? We don't need our wisdom. There are many times that I thought to myself, Lord, I know exactly, you can just stop right here, God, I know exactly what this person needs. They need a stick. That's what they need. And you know what God says to me? You don't know what you're thinking right now. And on the flip side, sometimes I'm thinking, Lord, I just need to just, they just need mercy, and God says, don't indulge them. Like, I don't know the difference between good and evil. I don't know how to deal with people. You have to pray for wisdom, and God will give you wisdom. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God who upbraideth not will give to all men what? Liberally. But the Bible says something so important right after that. We always skip over that. But let him who asks, ask in faith. Two things are required for asking for wisdom. Number one, humility, and number two, faith. Humility and what? Faith. And you know, Solomon became the wisest man in all of the Old Testament. In fact, you want to know what else Solomon actually started getting into because of his great hunger for wisdom and knowledge? Go to the very next chapter, and you're going to see something very interesting about the life of Solomon. What became actually some of his um, hobbies to study out? 1 Kings chapter 4. Take a good look at verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the what? Seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrite, Heman, Calcon, and Darda, the sons of Mel, 
and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Pay attention to verse 32 and 33. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Also he spoke of trees and of the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the well. He spoke also of animals of, bird, animals of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. You know what Solomon started getting into studying? He started getting into studying biology. Solomon was actually interested in biology. And as he explored the realms of science, and as he explored the realms of biology, God was always in his perspective, and he could see the beauty of the handiwork of God. Can you say amen to that? And this is what the wisdom of God led him into. Solomon had an interest in nature. In nature. And also the arts as well. And this is so powerful for us to understand, folks. The reason why is God wants us to be intelligent creatures. Can you say amen to that? God wants us to be wise. He wants us to be aware of the times that we're living in and our dealings with people. And the main reason why he wants us to be alive, or not alive, to be wise, is because he wants other people to see what God has been doing in your life. In other words, the gifts that God give you are for one purpose, and that is to glorify God, actually two, and to bring others to understand you. You know, here's the thing we need to always keep in the framework of education. I believe in education. Can you say amen to that? I absolutely 100% support Christian education. It is a million times better than the public education that's out there. I know I can speak from personal experience. I was not only a teacher at Academy, I went to public school my entire life. I went to public college, I went to a university, I also went to an Adventist college. I sometimes speak. Next year I'm going to be speaking at Southern. I spoke at PUC last year. So it's just like, I'm constantly, I'm seeing everything, but here's something I want you to always understand. Education without the destination of heaven is completely worthless. You hear what I just said? Education without the view or the perspective of heaven is completely worthless. Worthless. Because all we're creating are educated atheists. We always need to keep this framework and part of our thinking. That as we're involved in the education of our young people, as we're supporting our school, as we're ourselves getting educated, we're always supposed to remember the framework that this is supposed to be preparation not only for this life, but for the what? Life to come. The life to come. God wants to give every person here Wisdom. Can you say amen to that? Now I'm going to read you perhaps one of the most remarkable quotations from the pen of inspiration. And at first you're going to just like say, huh? And you're going to need me to read it again. Buckle your safety belts. The Lord has given man capacity for continual improvement and has granted him all possible aid in the work. Here's the next part. Well, this is when it hits you right here. Through the provisions of divine grace, we may attain almost to the excellence of angels. Let me just read that one more time. The Lord has given man capacity for continual improvement and has granted him all possible aid in the work. Through the provisions of divine grace, we may attain almost to the excellence of angels. Now, there's two ways to look at this verse. Number one, you can say to your quote, you can say to yourself, well, I just don't believe in Ellen White. Well, good for you. Not good for you, actually. 
Or you can say, I believe that, but how in the world is that going to be accomplished? How in the world can God so bring about such a work in my life that I'd give the angels something to run for? Folks, we need to explore all the things that God wants us to understand about our mind. Can you say amen to that? Our mind is the citadel of the entire body. Our brain, Ellen White calls us, is the crown of all the organs. You can lose your leg and you can still worship God. Amen? You can lose your arm and you can still worship God. You can lose your eye and you can still worship God. You can lose your ear and still worship God. But heaven forbid, if you lose your brain, you're in big trouble. Amen? So we need to understand what are some of the things that science has revealed, that the spirit of prophecy has revealed, that the Bible is pointing to us that can aid us in this work of growing more and more into the person that God wants us to be to gain the most amount of wisdom and information and all the light that we can receive in this world that is possible. Because folks, at the end of my life, I don't want to say to myself, well, I regretted not doing this. Amen? I want all that God has to give. Amen? It's like the man who gets to heaven one day, and he's there, and I shared this story with you in the past. He's a man, and the angel's taking him around, and he's just showing him all the beautiful things of heaven, and all of a sudden, he looks, and he sees a giant warehouse that has a big lock on it, and the angel says, hey, let's keep going. And the man says, well, I want to know what's inside the warehouse. And the angel said, no, you don't. And the man said, no, no, I want to know what's inside the warehouse. And the angel said, fine. He goes over there, takes the man there. They open up the warehouse, roll the door up, and all these gift-wrapped boxes are there just full of presents. And the man says, well, what are these? And the angel said, you don't want to know. And the man said, no, no, I want to know. What are these things? And the angel said, well, if you must know, these are all the blessings you could have received but you didn't ask for. Folks, Now is time to take up all that God has to offer. Can you say amen to that? You got one brain. You're not getting another brain. Well, when you translate into heaven, you will. But anyways, but here's the thing to understand. Right now is the time for us to understand what science, scripture, and the spirit of prophecy have revealed about the brain. But pay attention to this. Carl Schatz, professor of neurobiology, he says something very interesting. The brain is the central organ that directs the intricate functions that make possible memory, vision, learning, thought, consciousness, and other properties of the mind. In fact, during fetal development, the foundations of the mind are laid. Your mind sits in a physical organ, and that physical organ is called the brain. Three and a half pounds of gray matter that you have in your brain right now. I just want to let you guys know everybody in this congregation has a brain. I'm absolutely 100% sure of that. Therefore, it's important to understand, well, what can we do or what can we grasp and extrapolate from these things that will help us in this understanding of the human brain and mind? Watch what Ellen White says right here. The influence of the mind on the body as well as the body on the mind should be, what is that next word? Emphasize, and that's why I'm talking about it today. The electric power of the brain promoted by mental activity vitalizes the whole system and is thus an invaluable aid in resisting disease. You know the one thing that's going to keep you alive most of your life is going to be your brain. People who have healthy brains have healthy bodies. Amen? And there is an interface that takes place between the body and the brain, between the body and the mind. What affects the body affects the mind. And what affects the mind affects the 
body. We cannot separate these things. They're inseparable. What is this portion of the brain? And I will give somebody a health, a free health book if they raise their hand and they identify what this is. However, you cannot be over the age of 30. So if you know what this is, the red portion, I want you to stand up in the back and I want you to guess. However, if you're wrong, you're going to buy me a health book. It is discriminating. It is the frontal cortex, otherwise known as the, everyone say it, frontal lobe. Actually, what's very interesting about this, the frontal lobe, which is the front part of your brain, this brain region has been implicated in the planning cortex, complex, cognitive behavior, personality expression, decision-making, and moderating social behavior. In other words, what takes place in your frontal lobe is extremely important. Can you say amen to that? In fact, when you look several of the references in Scripture, the Bible says that the law is written on your heart and in your mind. What's also interesting, if you look at the 144,000, they have the Father's name written on there. Forehead. Written on the forehead. God understood something about the front part of the brain. Why? Because he obviously created it. That what happens specifically to your frontal lobe is very important. In fact, you know what Neil Nedley calls this? The frontal lobe. The seat of our morality, spirituality, and the will. In other words, decision making happens in the frontal lobe. Therefore, what affects you physically can affect the frontal lobe. And when it comes to sanctification and the work and becoming more and more like the beautiful image of God, not because this is a salvation of you, because we want to follow God more and more and we are so in love with His beautiful character. Can you say amen to that? I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. Amen? I want all that God has to offer to me. And so I want to understand everything. So everything's on the table. So here's something I'm going to tell you right now. And I want you to pay attention to my words because I speak very clearly on this issue. Your physical habits are connected to overcoming sin. I'm going to say that one more time. Your physical habits play a part in overcoming sin. I'm going to say something else. Your physical habits are connected to your spirituality. I'm going to say something else. Your physical habits are connected to your relationship with God. So why am I saying this? Because there are certain physical habits that we can do and not do that will actually improve better blood circulation in the frontal lobe that will call all sorts of wonderful things to take place for us to have a healthy brain that will actually improve our decision-making. If this is the seed of our morality and spirituality and the will, and by the way, you guys know the common story of Phineas Gage. Anybody know the story of Phineas Gage? He was a man who got a rod stuck in his head. They actually pulled the rod out. Parts of the frontal lobe were damaged. The man's personality changed. From somebody who used to be pleasant and nice to somebody who became very vicious. In fact, I was looking at a study of cannibals in the world, and you know what they found out about people who were cannibals? Nine times out of ten, something that was consistent with all these cannibals. You guys know what a cannibal is? Someone who eats another person, nine times out of ten, they found there was always an impairment in their frontal lobe. Therefore, we need to understand what are the things in life that can affect our frontal lobe. 
the very seat of our judgment and emotions. Now, does anybody know what this creature is? You're like, I know you have such a skewed picture of cats. I love cats, too, okay? But this cat was just too darling to not put up there. Okay, now something very interesting about cats is that they have a very interesting uh, size when it comes to their frontal lobe. Also what takes place in the frontal lobe is sympathy, empathy. It's our communication, our moderating of social behavior. If you ever look at a cat that only has 3.5% of his brain being the frontal lobe, what you will discover is that cats love to torture their victims. They'll play around with their cat, the victims. All of a sudden the mouse comes away, smack it, and then just watch it, let it go a little bit, smack it with the other hand. But you want to know something very interesting? Dogs actually have a greater size in the frontal lobe. I believe about 7%. And if you notice something about dogs, they're a little bit more sympathetic. Right? You come home after a long day and you're just like, told, just, just burdened. And your dog just looks at you and goes, I know what you're feeling, buddy. <laughs> I used to have a dog like that. His name was Hunter, big Malamute. I'd come home, uh, and the dog would just like, come up next to me, and just sit there. Dogs are sympathetic. Their frontal lobe is bigger. Now a chimpanzee, a chimpanzee actually has a bigger frontal lobe, and I believe it's about 11%. About 11%. So you see some monkeys, you see how they deal with their young, and it's very interesting, you actually find a lot of, in a lot of zoos, you can read articles about them, monkeys will actually adopt other animals. They'll adopt other animals. And there you can see a very cute picture of a monkey wearing a pair of shorts and uh, feeding a bottle of milk to a tiger of some kind. So when we take a good look at human beings, human beings actually have a 33 to 38% size of their frontal lobe. It's actually what really separates us from the animal kingdom. Cats' frontal lobes are only 3.5% of the total brain. Dogs, 7%. Chim- chimpanzees have 17%, excuse me, frontal lobe area, while humans have anywhere from 33 to 38% of the brain reserved for the frontal lobe. Folks, this is amazing. When you begin to think about it, our brain is extremely important, specifically the frontal lobe. We need to understand what sort of things that we do in our life that can affect the frontal lobe. Now, I want you to pay attention to what the standard American diet is. Now, anybody notice something about the abbreviations of the standard American diet? (laughs) Well, I know it's sad, but what's the abbreviations? Just kidding. You understand the point. The standard American diet is simply this. The standard American diet, also called the Western pattern, is a dietary plan chosen by the West. It consists mainly of high intakes of red meat, sugary desserts, high-fat foods, and refined grains. Because of the mass production of this food, this has led to the lowering of the quality of food. And you want to know why that's so important? Well, we'll just hold off, actually. I'll tell you a little bit more later. This has led to the lowering of the quality of food. Combined with cheap, faster options, there is an explosive outbreak of lifestyle diseases as well as general overall mental function decline. Much can be traced to what the sad diet is deficient of. Some of these being omega-3 fatty acids and different kinds of essential vitamins, B and D, and there's much more. And unfortunately, Seventh-day Adventists are not always innocent and immune to these now common issues. 
You want to know why there's been a lot of deficiency in when it comes to the brain, why there's been a lot of mental disorders as well as physical disorders? Because around the 70s, Nixon ordered that the food prices should go down. But good intentions don't always lead to right actions. Can you say amen to that? And because of it, the way that they did it, the way they were able to lower food prices was basically by replacing what sugar was and how sugar is used. And so what they did, they began to use corn oil in everything. And sure enough, if you take a good look at corn and how it's used, it's in almost in anything that we eat these days. The problem is, is that our body doesn't always like corn, and because of it, our brain tends to be deficient of several things. Your body has two essential amino uh, uh, fatty acids, omega-3 and omega-6. You don't have to worry much about omega-6. We find it in the common diets everywhere. But omega-3, which is essential, is not found in the standard American diet. We actually have to look for sources, but before we have to go into uh, where those sources are found, I want you to pay attention to this. This is Neil Nedley. It's his book called Lost Art of Thinking. just came out earlier this year, I believe. And he says something. EPA and DHA are two types of omega-3. High doses of EPA and DHA supplementation has been shown to stabilize and halt the progression of mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease over a six-month period. Period. In fact, he was talking about another study that he did of a woman who actually, um, the diagnosis was that she has Alzheimer's disease. She was in stage one. So what he did, he began to supplement her diet with omega-3s, and it's been nine years since then, and she has not progressed past stage one of Alzheimer's disease. Now, here's a question I want to ask you to make sure you're not in stage one of Alzheimer's disease. You want the test? Here's the test. Ready? You have 10 seconds. I'm going to time you. Spell world backwards. Stop. Well, you know yourself if you got in the first stage. But here's the thing to understand about that. Folks, when you take a good look at omega-3 and what it's capable of doing, it's very interesting. Watch what else he says right here. Youth with bipolar disorder experience dramatic improvements with EPA and DHA supplements. Youth with major depression also experience significant improvement with supplementation. For those with seizures, EPA and DHA supplements decrease frequency of subsequent seizures by how much? 50%. And you have to consult a doctor if you're concerned about how much omega-3 you can get. Watch this. Studies have shown that breastfed babies have IQs that are 9 to 10 points higher than babies who are not breastfed, most likely due to the fact that breast milk contains omega-3, while most infant formulas do not. Now, here's the thing about omega-3. You go out into the store, and you'll find that omega-3 will be found in fish oil, fish oil capsule. But that's actually not the source of omega-3. Omega-3 is actually found in algae, plant sea life. But what happens is these fish eat the sea life, and thus they get omega-3 in them, and they are harvested and produced by pharmaceutical companies. But you can find omega-3 in plant-based sources. It's such a natural product that's illegal to actually patent omega-3. But what some what companies have done, they've actually patented the process to remove the mercury out of fish to get to the omega-3, because a fish has a lot of mercury. Fish have a lot of mercury. About 60, 70 years ago, fish was probably much more healthier than it is today. But fish these days has a lot of mercury. And so if you're trying to find omega-3, and where you can actually get omega-3, there are plenty of sources, vegetarian, plant-based sources, and we'll get into that. 
Children who consume even low amounts of supplementation of foods higher in omega-3 experience improved learning, memory, and an improved attention span when learning. Additional adolescents who eat foods higher in omega-3 get better grades. You know, I'm actually on omega-3 myself. I've been doing it for about two weeks. I took it just a few months ago, and I took two-week shot just of high doses. I just concentrated the doses, and I took it. And I'll tell you this, during that two months, it was two weeks, it was just like fantastic. I have clarity, all sorts of things. So anytime that I'm expecting there's going to be a lot of brain work, I'll actually start taking doses of omega-3. I get it in a vegetarian source. It's very, very, very cheap. Here are some of the plant-based sources of omega-3. Flaxseed has 6,388. And by the way, Neil Lendley on his depression program will actually put people on omega-3 supplementation. He gives almost three to 4,000, I believe, per day to individuals who are suffering depression, and they show improved, uh, improved, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Improve, I need some omega-3 right now, obviously. Improvement, that's the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Chia seeds, you can take a look at walnuts, pecans, green soybeans, avocados, and blueberries. These are just common plant-based sources, or you can buy a vegetarian capsule, you can get it there, but you should still eat plant-based sources. What you will find, though, in meat sources, omega-3 is very minimal, very minimal, unless you're eating fish, but the problem with fish is that you also get mercury. But omega-3 is very essential. It's been used with uh, Alzheimer's disease patients, it's been used for children that have mental disorders, it's been used on, uh, by the way, do you know the um, FDA will only approve omega-3 in uh, baby infant milk if it only comes from a plant-based source. They will, not, uh, uh, they will not okay meat sources of omega-3 because they understand the toxins that come with that. So there's a lot of, new, not a new, lot of new things that are out there when it comes to omega-3. Here's something else. Breakfast. Worldwide research links breakfast with better cognitive mental performance. How many people ate a hearty breakfast this morning? Raise your hand. Well, we know what happens to those who don't. Let's keep going. Swedish studies revealed that children who were served larger breakfasts showed improved mental functioning compared to those who ate daily a smaller meal to start their day. Jamaican school children who ate daily breakfast for two weeks showed an increase in creative ideas. In Saudi Arabia, 14.9% of the students reported skipping breakfast. Those who missed the morning meal tended to perform poorer in school. Research from both the U.S. and South America shows that undernourished children face worse mentally, fare worse mentally when they miss breakfast. Is breakfast important? You better believe it is. In August of 1995, the Pediatrics Department at the University of California of Davis hosted a number of psychologists, neuroscientists, nutritionists, physiologists who reviewed the scientific studies on breakfast. The researchers concluded that the eating of breakfast is important to learning, memory, physical well-being in both children and adults. Breakfast is absolutely 100% the most important meal. In fact, Ellen White was well ahead of her time. She was actually giving counsel to a mother. Now pay attention to this counsel. A mother counsel that breakfast is important. Your child has a nervous temperament and her diet should be carefully guarded. She should not be allowed to choose that food which will gratify the taste without affording proper nourishment. Never let her go from home to school without her what? Breakfast. Do not venture to give full scope to your inclinations in this matter. Place yourself entirely under the control of God and he will help you to bring all your desires into harmony with his requirements. 
Now watch what else she says. It is custom, it is the custom in order of society to take a slight breakfast. Folks, I want to let you guys know something. One smoothie is not enough for breakfast. I don't care if it's a Superman smoothie. It's not enough. But this is not the best way to treat the stomach. At breakfast time, the stomach is in a better condition to take care of more food than at the second or third meal of the day. The habit of eating a sparing breakfast and a large dinner is wrong. Make your breakfast correspond with nearly to the heartiest meal of the day. And which should be the heartiest meal of the day? Breakfast. Folks, I want to tell you guys something. This is the time to start saying, you know what? I need to intentionally make effort to make sure my breakfast is numero uno. Number one. Because when you eat dinner, a really hefty dinner, what happens is that your body begins to face a lot of problems. Your body takes a long time to digest. You're not exercising at night. You're usually sleeping at night. And the problem is that food just sits there, ferments, becomes disease, affects the rest of your body, and you wake up like a truck hits you. You know what I'm talking about. Folks, bigger dinners, bigger sinners. Sleep. Sleep. Now, this is something very interesting. According to National Sleep Foundation, imagine working for the National Sleep Foundation, more than 100,000 accidents each year are caused by drowsiness behind the wheel. Large-scale disasters like the Chernobyl fiasco, the Exxon Valdez crash, and the Three Mile incident all took place in early pre-dawn hours when vigilance was at a low point. Most of the friendly fire problems in the Gulf War were also due to fatigue. Sleep is extremely important. Can you say amen to that? Sleep-deprived persons also have trouble thinking of imaginative words or ideas. Choosing repetitious words, repetitious words, repetitious words, or phrases instead. They are also less able to communicate in clear sentences and may mutter speak in a monotone voice, exhibit slurred speech, or talk very slowly. So you know those days that when this happens to me, you didn't get enough sleep, right? That's absolutely true. But here's the thing we need to understand, folks. Sleeping right is the fountain of youth. It is the fountain of youth. This week, I gave the Lord an experiment. I said, God, I need you to help me to start getting to bed on time. So as soon as I was done with my last meeting, I'd just race out. I'd go there, I'd lay down on my bed, and sometimes I'd fall asleep at 9.30, sometimes I'd fall asleep at 10, sometimes at 9.45. Yesterday it was like 10 o'clock. Folks, I want to let you guys know something. When I slept well, and I slept deep, I woke up with just this hunger and this desire to do something powerful that day. Good sleep is worth everything to us. And folks, here's something to also understand. When you stay up, those late hours, it destroys spirituality. Because many times you open up the Bible, you'll attempt to pray, and you will find yourself unable to do those things. Those things that are so necessary. So, when it comes to sleep, you need to start carving that out, and you say, Lord, I need to help, help me to get a good night of sleep. And by the way, there was only one time in this week before I started this sleep experiment with God I did not get a good night's sleep. I went to sleep at 2 a.m. Now, I know that when I don't sleep at 2 a.m., when I go to sleep at 2 a.m. and I wake up, I fool myself in thinking that I can handle the day well. But I'm aware of the consequences of not sleeping well. So when I went to sleep that night at 2 a.m. and I woke up in the morning, it was about 7 o'clock, 
I kind of slept in a little bit longer than normal. I said to myself, uh-oh, I went to sleep so late. Now what I'm going to do, i got to pay attention. I cannot miss anything because now i got to be on my guard because it's just those negotiating moments that I can end up missing and just completely make a big blunder. The whole day I was watching, I was like, okay, driving to the conference office, checking my mirrors twice, looking at everything, not texting on the phone while I'm driving, just continually driving, focused, you know, trying to get to the conference office, sat down in a meeting, did everything I could to stay awake, and I was like, I'm going to stay awake. And I was intense during the meetings just like this, staying awake the whole time, participating, making sure my words are carefully chosen. I was like, I am not going to face the consequences of not sleeping right. Everything worked out great. Stayed awake during that several-hour meeting, talked to my friends, got a book, left, and as I was driving, I was like, okay, I'm going to turn on my Bluetooth, and I was talking to my friend, yeah, yeah, kind of went to sleep late last night, but I'm okay, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. And I was driving, it's about an hour and a half from Fresno, from here to Fresno, to, from Fresno to Modesto, I was driving, and all of a sudden, after about an hour of driving, I was like, something's wrong, something's really wrong. I looked up the sign, I had gone on the wrong freeway for one hour. Now, you may think to yourself, <laughs> bad for an L, but folks, I want to let you guys know something. You're just as bad conditioned as I am if you don't get a good night of sleep. Your negotiating skills completely drop to a level. You're not even aware of what's happening. You're not even aware of it. And it will get you, all of a sudden you'll say, why in the world did I make a bad mistake? Why in the world did I put myself in an area of temptation? Why in the world did I do the same thing over and over again? Folks, you need to start correcting your physical habits. Amen? Start correcting your physical habits and you will see all sorts of things take place. In other research, scientists have found that people who are learning new skills don't improve their performance in the new skill set unless they complete a full eight-hour sleep cycle, including period of REM or rapid eye movement. So if you're trying to learn something and you want to progress, get a good night of sleep. Can you say amen to that? Just get down on that bed and you just lay down and say, Lord, help me to sleep. And even if you just, your eyes are wide open, you stay on that bed. You stay on that bed till you are sleeping. And if you want something to put you to sleep, just listen to a lecture by a doctor. That, this one doctor, I'll give you the lecture, and it was like, thank you for coming to ASI. We're really excited about this presentation. I was sleeping, just out cold. Seriously, you think I'm doing that as a joke? I am dead serious about this. I will listen to this one individual. He will put me to sleep faster than anything. (laughs) So you do that. Whatever it takes. Sleep is so important. Researchers have documented that brain damage occurs. Now pay attention to this. You're not going to like this. Occur in sleep-deprived animals. And some research suggests that the damage may be... It's actually may not be. I did not put something in there. It may not be irreversible. Oh, see, that is correct. Sorry. Damage may be irreversible. You can't fix it. Folks, we need to pay attention to our habits. Amen? A nine o'clock bedtime allows the highest production of melatonin. Melatonin is the, is the item or the element in your brain that helps with fixing and rejuvenating your brain. A nine o'clock bedtime. And as you get a good night of sleep, for every hour you sleep before midnight... What happens is something so incredible, you are gaining two hours for every hour. Mellon White actually talks about this, and science has confirmed that to be true. 
and post-midnight hours have been shown to significantly reduce melatonin levels. Many of us don't have rejuvenated brains and we wake up after going to sleep at 1 a.m. wondering to yourself, why am I feeling so bored? Why can't I focus on anything? Why can't I do this? I don't feel any more uh, just energy. And the reason why is because our brains are not rejuvenated. There's nothing wrong with our body. It's our brain that's suffering. Our brains are suffering. Look what Ellen White says right here. Make it a habit not to sit up after 9 o'clock. Every light should be extinguished. This turning night into day is a wretched, health-destroying habit. And this reading much by brain workers. Up to the sleeping hours is very injurious to health. It calls the blood to the brain, and then there is a restlessness and wakefulness, and the precious sleep, which should rest the body, does not come when desired. Does not come. Fasting. Fasting is very important. Now watch what some research shows. BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, is a neurotrophin that actually helps induce the survival and development and function of brain cells and can actually stimulate the development of new brain cells. Short periods of fasting can also increase BDNF. When they had a difficult decision to make, many of the great men in the world turned to a short-term fast to sharpen their thinking. You know, sometimes I fast Friday. I will fast on Friday, I'll eat breakfast or I'll skip breakfast, and I'll just wait until dinner Friday night. And the reason why is because I need my brain sharp. I'm giving my brain rest. Blood's not leaving my brain to go digest food. It is resting. Now watch what Ellen White says right here. It's very powerful. There are persons who would be more benefited by abstinence from food for a day or two every week than any amount of medicine or treatment or medical advice. To fast one day a week now would be of what? incalculable benefit to them. What does the word incalculable benefit mean? You can't measure how much of a blessing you could get on it. All of a sudden your brain starts working faster. All of a sudden you find yourself more able to resist those things that you thought you could not in any way overcome. All of a sudden you find yourself just a skip in your step as you're just moving about. Your brain has been recharged. And many times I will fast an entire day if my brain is just like needing that rest. Some of us think to ourselves, we can't get past one meal. You can get past one meal. If you can get past one meal, you can get past two meals. And if you get past two meals, you can get past three meals. Amen? Fast an entire day. And at first you may struggle and claw, just lock up the fridge. Put a chain on and lock it up and give it to your husband or just swallow the key. Wait a few days. Folks, I am so serious about this. Many of us are falling into the same sins over and over again because of our health habits. And then we get discouraged and we say, God, why in the world did you create me? Amen? We say that. But God says, now is the time for you to start producing in your life healthy habits. Amen? Healthy habits. Think about a runner. You want to know the difference between a first place Olympic runner and a last place Olympic runner? They have a team who surrounds them and everything's on the table from sleep to diet to shoe to clothing. Everything is on the table. That's the difference between first place and last place. And when it comes on our journey and our Christian walk, everything's on the table. Amen? Anybody know who this lady is? This is Marge. Marge Jedden. She actually passed away earlier this year. 
She was uh, in part of that Blue Zone study. She lived till 106 years old. She's from Loma Linda. She's the one on the Oprah show that was lifting those five-pound weights. There's a picture of her, and I think it's Dr. Oz behind her. And she was talking about how every day she walks one mile. She walks one mile to get exercise, and she lifts five-pound weights every day. Folks, every day we should get a certain amount of exercise, healthy exercise. Now, I know with Sabbath, we don't need to go to the gym, but rather what you can do, you can go out for a nice, brisk walk in nature. Every day you can go to the gym for about 15 minutes, and you can do a quick workout, 30 minutes, you just do some stretching. Move your body. We have now produced a sedentary lifestyle amongst Americans, and this is why many of us are coming with these diseases. God is saying, start moving. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus exercise? You know he exercised, because every time he went up to pray, what would he have to do? Climb a mountain. He climbed a mountain when he would go pray. He got plenty of exercise. Plenty of exercise. In fact, Neil Nedley talks about the difference between a software society that we have now become than a screwdriver society. And he found that many kids, many people are now sitting in front of a TV, in front of a screen, and the whole time they're just looking at it, their blood isn't circulating very well. And it's led to lower mental performance. You want to know something very interesting? I'm reading this book by Scott Christensen, and it's entitled The Great Controversy, the Great Controversy and the Planet. And it's describing how the planet, when God created the world, he created six, several, six days and things and elements that were part of those six days, and they were all interleaked. He talked about how sin was introduced into the world and how it led to this cascading fall. But then he brings up something so powerful, I never thought about it, and that is this. When God cursed the ground, he cursed it for who? Our sake. In other words, it was cursed to help us deal with our sinful natures by working the ground, by getting good exercise, by being out there in the sun. But what's happened, he brought up this very interesting point. He says, as humans, we have tried to overcome this curse, and the way we try to overcome it, by mass food production, by fast food restaurants, and he says, by trying to overcome this curse, you know what it's led to? It's led to the breakdown of human society. Now there is pride, fullness of bed, bread, and idleness. Because we're no longer working the ground. We're no longer working the ground. We've tried to overcome God's curse that was meant for our blessing, and because of it, it's led to greater problems in human society. Folks, we need to understand this like never before. Amen? Another study found that individuals consistently scored higher on intellectual tests after embarking on a three-month Running program. The study involved seven young people who ran for 30 minutes for two or three times a week. After 12 weeks of jogging, scores on all tests significantly increased, as did their reaction times in completing the test. Conclusion of the researchers was that there was a marked improvement in prefrontal lobe function. A, a daily exercise plan helps. And we need to be moving. Amen? Only one day of the week you're required to sit in the pews. Only one day a week. But that's not an excuse for us just to sit in the pew at our house all week long. Amen? We need to be out there exercising, doing whatever it takes because we only got one brain till heaven. Amen? And what affects us here affects all our actions, all our decisions. It affects everything. You will notice that even there are temperaments in your children or other people's children because of the health habits that exist. Change some of the health habits, and all of a sudden, you'll get an angel instead of a hellion. Amen? Here's the thing. You're telling me, you're like, well, Anel, there's no way I can get fruits and vegetables in my child. Yes, there are. 
There, yes, you can. You can get fruits and vegetables. How many people here like beets? Raise your hand. That's a lot. That's more than I expected. Now, I'm going to introduce you to something. I call it the flash juice. Now, I take this stuff because, before I exercise, and the reason why is that runners will take this 20 minutes before they run, and they have a 20% greater endurance in their running. Beet juice actually helps with inflammation. It helps with just recharging the brain. And they actually did a study on beets, and you know what they've discovered? That there was greater, greater frontal lobe function. There was greater circulation taking place there, and uh, all sorts of benefits were being derived by taking some beets. Now, I know some of us had bad kidney problems, so you want to be careful about that stuff. But folks, pay attention to what I'm about to do. I'm going to make delicious beet juice. Now, you're thinking to yourself, how in the world does the word delicious and the word beet juice go together? Watch what happens. Now, this is very interesting because this is something that was just... Let's turn this guy around. And this, my friends, is a juicer. Now, a juicer is is very interesting because a juicer is something that will actually take, it will actually take uh, fruits and vegetables that sometimes are not easy to take down, and what it does, it actually breaks it down to juice. Now you're thinking to yourself, how in the world am I going to get beets in my kid's body? There's plenty of ways. But this is something that is so good, it actually tastes good. See that red color? Delicious. Good stuff right here. You take that beet juice, then you stick an apple in there. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, beet juice doesn't sound the best to me. But I'm going to show you that beet juice tastes good. Better not spill any on the carpet. Alan will kill me. Okay. Who here wants to try some delicious beet juice? Ricky, why don't you come here? Yeah, come here. Now, Ricky's going to try out some beet juice. Ricky, do you like beets? Good. You're perfect for that. Now, I didn't hire Ricky to come up here, but I want you to see all the things that you can do with health that can help your kids grow into healthy people. Just juice some stuff for them. Try some delicious beet juice. Not bad? Can you say amen to that? Look at him. He's still drinking it. (laughs) Thanks, Ricky. I appreciate it. Here, Ricky, you can take this. Don't spill any of the carpet. Okay. Folks, there is so much you can do when it comes to health. We don't need to be boring about health. Amen? There is so much out there. Folks, this is the time that God is calling us to be healthy, to search out all the ways that we can improve our, our, our frontal lobe, the circulation that takes place there, anything that we can do to improve our mind, our thinking. Folks, I just scratched the surface with all the research that's out there, but now is the time that God is calling for His people to step it up. Amen? As the temptation in the world gets greater and greater upon us, as the burdens of this world gets greater and greater, as we age... As our body deteriorates, God still wants us to have sharp minds. Amen? How many people want to go all that God has to offer them when it comes to health? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for today. Lord, there's so much we could talk about. But God, for whatever we spoke about today, please bless us, Lord. And we pray that we can incorporate it. 
Take us this thought from our head to our heart, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.